I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome to this episode as we continue to explore uh, April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And as we continue to find out more information from our expert panel, ladies, if you would be willing to introduce yourselves. I'm Deborah Hackworth, Director of Advocacy Services at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. I am Ellen Higgins. I'm the Director of Housing Services. And I'm Elizabeth Alderson, Licensed Master Social Worker and Therapist at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. The last time we were together, we started talking about statistics, both male and female, reported statistics, um, lots of information leading to the idea that perhaps many things are not reported, and how now, more and more with social media and the Me Too movement, many things are coming to light that did not come to light before. I think we want to explore a little bit about how perhaps the Me Too movement or things along that line are beginning to um, affect us and lead to more awareness of what's going on. The Me Too movement originally started over a decade ago on MySpace. Um, MySpace, we haven't heard that term. For I a while. know, I know that kind of dates it. <laughs> Which is sad that it's continuing so long, but good that things are really coming to the forefront lately. Absolutely, um, an activist by the name of Tarana Burke, she started it on her MySpace account. But it wasn't that it um, gained national notoriety or international notoriety until um, October 15, 2017, when the actress Alyssa Milano shared it on Twitter in response to some allegations of sexual harassment and sexual assault that was going on in Hollywood. Um, It's kind of sad that it takes something happening in Hollywood and Mm -hmm. or to someone famous for people to stand up and take notice but I'm also glad that Alyssa Milano used her voice and her Twitter account to bring more awareness to the subject. Well and along those lines regular people like us if we think well if that person is willing to let people know what happened to them then I should be able to do that as well. If they are going to be in the public eye, still seeking healing and help, all of us who need healing and help should be able to come forward and find it. It also lets you know that anyone can be a victim. Sexual assault doesn't just happen to people who are um, in poverty or people of color. 
it can happen to um, some of the most rich and famous, and you would even think powerful, but then they've, um, their power was taken away and they've become powerless to someone who chose to make them their victim. Who could be their boss, just like everyone mm -hmm. in this room has a boss, or, or family their, members. Their or intimate partner, I mean, or a stranger. Mm -hmm. There's been um, one particular sexual assault victim who tells her story, and it happened before she became famous, but Gabrielle Union, she's been a very vocal um, advocate for survivors, and hers was a stranger rape. And um, but her being Gabrielle Union did not shield her from this violence that she experienced. Alyssa Milano was not shielded from this experience just because she's Alyssa Milano. So does the Me Too movement affect, or has it? Have you seen an effect here locally on reports increasing or? We have seen a rise in our numbers and even nationally the numbers of people who are reporting sexual violence. Um, and I think that is in direct correlation to the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, and women um, feeling the power to step forward and use their voice. And what I like about the Me Too movement is it gives validity to what we're saying. So um, someone who doesn't have a name, who doesn't have power, says, I've been sexually assaulted by um, this person. What the Me Too movement is saying when someone says, no, that couldn't have happened, the Me Too movement says, yes, it can happen because that happened to me too. So you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And where there's numbers, there's power. That is so true. In regards to the Larry Nassar, when all of those survivors came forward, I mean, how many, how many young girls had been talking about it and telling their story for so long, and it took so many years, but when the numbers increased, people started to listen, and all of us banding together, that Me Too movement, it gives us the power to stand up. It gives us a voice. And what it really did as well is it put this these stories in the national news. You couldn't go anywhere and not hear about it. You know, it was all over the news. It was all over media. And that helped so many survivors come forward. You know, it was this spark that started. And now, yes, in Hollywood, we see a lot of their stories um, being published, new allegations being published, and, you know, different movies coming out. And, and it's sparking this conversation nationwide of survivors saying, you know, that happened to me. And... I think I need help with this. I think I've been dealing with this for so long and just never had the courage to say, yeah, this is what I've lived. And I've had so many survivors say that, say, read these stories and say, that's exactly what I went through. And I just didn't know how to phrase it or say it. And that's so encouraging. I think it also combats the stigma that this happened because something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm when it can happen to people that um, someone hold in high esteem. It's like you're a double victim. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. So we're hearing more and more about sexual assault. Do you think that's meaning the problem is getting worse? No, the problem has been here since the beginning of time. People just have a voice. Victims have a voice. Victims have an an avenue to be able to um, find the help. There's more resources available to victims, um, whether it's a man or a woman um, or a child. With the Me Too movement, um, with more information being given out, we're also seeing more resources being advertised for healing. Well, and with sexual assault awareness, I'm sure people are experiencing sexual assault and don't even know it or don't know what to call it or don't know why they feel bad about themselves or what's been going on. Mm -hmm. So having an avenue to say, not just the Me Too avenue, but to put a name to what's been happening to them. Yes. Um, A lot of times when we will meet with a survivor who's coming to us for solely domestic violence services, as we begin to get into the conversation and um, they will talk about certain things that happen that they're not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And then we give it a name. And if you can name it, you can deal with it. And you can heal from it. But if it never has a name, it still stays like um, a cancer that's hidden and festering and still destroying the person from the inside out. But we don't know what it is. So once you give it a name, once you speak it. You diagnose it pretty much. Exactly. Exactly. Then we can start the healing process. Wow. I remember meeting with a survivor. Um that had been referred to our services and just said she wanted to talk and I was sitting there with her and I asked her, um, you know, why she wanted services and she's and she mentioned what was happening in the media, you know, and she was like, did you see that story about so-and-so? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, that's why, because that was me. Like, that happened to me. And she, and that, those are all the words that she had to say about it was that. She didn't want us to talk about, you know, who it was and where it was, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was just like that story on the media, that was me, and and that's it. And she and, can start to move forward mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. And the thing is, we don't need all the details Mm-mm. of what happened to be able to help you with healing. All a survivor has to say is, I need help. I want help. And that's where we start. A lot of times um, their story has been rejected. People have not believed them. Or they believe the perpetrator, not the victim. Absolutely. And so they don't want to continue to tell their story over and over again. And so even when we go out on emergency responses and we meet someone at the hospital, the first thing that we say is, I'm here for you. Um, you you didn't deserve this. Um, and I believe you. If you can't say anything else to a victim of sexual assault, tell them that you believe them. I believe you. And what would you like to see happen? That can change the whole trajectory 
of their healing process. It can, it's like adding pressure to a wound so that they're no longer bleeding out. Well, and you mentioned earlier about that whole transfer of power. When mm -hmm. you tell someone you believe them, you just gave them their power back. Absolutely. I've seen the difference between um, victims who've been believed when they reported and victims that were not believed when they, were rep when they reported. Their healing process is completely different. It goes in two different directions. Mm -hmm. And so as advocates, we're there to say, I believe you. I'm going to stand with you. And how would you like to move forward in your healing? So if someone is listening to our podcast and they want to move forward, we've been giving them web pages and phone numbers. What happens if they reach out to you? Okay, so if someone calls us at our 800 number, they are speaking to an advocate um, when they call that number. And so they can begin the healing process with that phone call. If they would like any follow-up services, the advocate will offer that to them. And then um, they will make a referral to a non-residential advocate um, if they do not need shelter. Mm -hmm. If they need shelter, they can come into shelter. but. It can go to a non-residential advocate who will then um, meet with them in their community, um, in their home or someplace else if it's safe, and start that healing process. And our non-residential advocates can then refer them to our therapist. And all of our services are free and confidential. We will stand with someone for as long um, or a short of time as they need it, um, we will be a part of their lives as much or as little as they need it. Again, we're about giving them back control of their life. And so you choose what it is, um, which parts of our services you would like to use, whether that's individual counseling, group counseling, um, therapeutic services, residential services as far as shelter, you choose and we will um, walk with you and support you on your journey. Which is huge, huge to know. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions with, well, if I report this, then all of this maybe even worse mm -hmm. conditions could, could transpire because I've, I've reported it or I have to name who was involved or I have to you know, it involve a legal system, and it's good to know that those things are not true, that you are, the help and the healing are really the focus. Those are just options that a person has, but I will say, if it's a minor who is being abused, we are mandated reporters, and we let them know that up front. We're mandated reporters, and if you tell us about any child abuse that's going on, as far as minors are concerned, we are obligated to make um, the report to um, Child Protective Services. Um, that's never a secret. Right. We um, right. let them know that up front, and we will still stand by you and walk with you through the process. And it's interesting, well, not interesting, but it makes perfect sense that Sexual Assault Awareness Month is April so mm -hmm. is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And Absolutely. unfortunately, they frequently go hand in hand. 
a lot of times. Yeah, there are many children who have been um, and who are victims of abuse. And because the abuse starts at such an early age, sadly, it becomes their norm. Mm -hmm. So they don't know to even report it or they've been threatened not to report it. Um, victims believe that if it's a family member, if I tell, it will destroy my family. So they're taking on the responsibility, the guilt, the shame of that the abuser should have when um, they are the victim in the circumstances. And so there's so many reasons why children don't come forward. Part of the um, national um, coverage of sexual assault are people coming forward talking about their childhood sexual abuse and so children know that they have an avenue that they can report also. And that goes along with some of the activities or I don't know activities the word you want but um, educational opportunities to let people know how they can get help. Yes. In February, we have Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, and we go into the schools and we talk about um, dating violence, uh, physical violence, and sexual violence. And there's a lot of times when we're talking to students, we'll go into the school year, all school year long. I mean, this school's all school year long. But when in February, we're able to um, go in and give out information. And there's a lot of students who didn't know that resources were available to them also. Now they know, and they can come forward, and they can speak up and get the help that they need for healing. So the Me, the Me Too movement has really brought more reporting. Um, are you, what kind of reports are you getting? I mean, are you finding it's pretty much even what you thought, like strangers or bosses or how does, how does that go? I mean, what are you finding? I've been seeing a lot, an increase in survivor reporting and not necessarily the demographics that I would have thought of. You know, this Me Too movement is adults on social media sharing their stories. And I've experienced a lot of college-aged or late high school or early adult kind of, you know, like 16 to 22 coming and saying, hey, that that's like what happened to me. That's what I experienced and not having really that vocabulary um, of it was sexual assault or it was rape or anything like that, but more of, I know what this is like, or that struck a spark with me, or they came to school crying and they were just inconsolable and their school counselor has reached out to DASIS or to us. And so I've really seen the younger population really getting their eyes open to what's happening in the, com not just in the community, but what's happening nationally, what's happening in the world, and that it's not okay. Uh, because a lot of times what we see, especially in our kids and our teenagers, is that um, oftentimes sexual assault or sexual violence isn't just a one-time thing, that there's also grooming behaviors that become a part of that. And so it's oftentimes adults who have power and control over children who have relationships with 
the children's parents who are trusted adults that are able to gain power and control in that whole relationship and then are able to um, abuse these children with no one really noticing. And we saw that with Larry Nassar. We saw that, you know, he was in power, he was in control. Um, he spoke at an, at an international level about um, sexual assault and how to prevent sexual assault, and yet he was a perpetrator the mm-hmm. entire time. And so it's very interesting to see that um, from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, they report that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18 years oh old. Oh my goodness. Right. And that's, it's, it's just horrifying to hear that that many children in our community when, um, you know, when we love these kids, when we, we do so much to protect children. And so often, like you said, we talk about stranger danger, you know, who are you walking home with from the bus to your house? Always have a buddy, um, be cautious. You know, we don't go after dark. We have street lights, all that kind of stuff. We're so concerned about the stranger or, you know, the guy or the girl who doesn't really look right or put together and they're walking down the street or they're at the store. You know, we're concerned with all of these people when in reality, reality, you know, 70, 77% of the people who abuse children are, have, are, have a relationship with that child in some way, shape or form, either they're related in family, you know, their cousins or siblings or, or parents or friends or aunts, uncles, grandparents, coaches. And it's not to say that just because you have a relationship with a child, you're at risk to being an abuser, you know, but it's, it's like what we talked about in the previous episode, sexual violence is all about gaining power and control. And so you use that power and control to manipulate someone. And you use the term grooming earlier. So with, uh, trying to make more people aware, how would a parent or a significant other in a child's life, how can you be, what do you notice about not just the child, but who they're surrounded by? And are, are grooming behavior something that you can like, oh, this doesn't look right, or I have a weird feeling about that? Or how do you go, I mean, how can you intervene with something like that? Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, it can be things that you don't really notice in the beginning and you kind of you know you get that gut feeling or the Mm -hmm. hairs on the back of your head Um, a lot of times it's uh, an adult taking a particular interest in your child that kind of you're like interesting like um, an adult wants to play individually with your child by themselves they don't want the other kids that are around you know they're isolating that child they're doing you know private practices or private play or something like that let's go over here and do this and um, it's when we start saying, you know, you don't have to tell your mom and dad about that, or you don't have to tell, you know, so-and-so about what we do. It's those keeping secrets, you know, mm-hmm. what what's the purpose of the secret behind that um, are really some of the first things to kind of look for. Oftentimes, what we see later on after um, sexual abuse has started or sexual violence has kind of happened is the child no longer wants to go to that person, and right. they used and they used to, and it, and as um, a parent or a guardian or caregiver, we're like, no, that's so and so. Like we go over to their house and we play there, and we or we do this or you know whatever relationship we have with that person and the child you know there's no reason that they want to go over there and it's just like why don't you want to see that person anymore it's kind of those instances that happen so not letting that feeling go but asking those questions that you're thinking 
Mm-hmm. And it's and it's awkward and it's really hard to have those conversations with young children um, or any child um, because none of us want this to happen right. to children. None, none of us want this to happen to anybody. But I feel like there's so much sensitivity and so much more heartbreak around children um, when it happens. And so it's some of the best advice that I ever give parents is having that conversation with kids early and naming body parts. It sounds really awkward, you know, to have that conversation with children and talk about their body parts and owning their body. Um, you know, having those conversations about where your sim- where your swimsuit is, is that's your private business and no one should touch you there and no one should ask to see you there mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But it also is very helpful when you're having this conversation later on when your child is eight or 10 and saying, you know, did so-and-so ever touch you, you know, and naming genitalia versus just saying like in your no-no zone. Like it's, it feels really comfortable to tell a two-year-old about their no-no zone, Mm -hmm. but it also becomes really difficult when that's all they call it to then when they're older, be like, so-and-so touched me in my no-no zone. And you're like, well, what's your no-no zone? Because that's different for all of us. And so, you know, keeping kids, you know, on the same page of words that we would use, that's giving them an education. That's giving them power and control to come home and say, so-and-so touched me and giving it a name. I'd like to thank our panel once again. This is amazing information and remind our listeners that we do have resources for help and healing. Our website, dasismi.org, or the 24-hour hotline, 800-828-2023. And we hope you'll join us for our next episode. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasmi.org. That's dasismi.org. Or call our hotline at 800 800- 828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.